Howdy. On this episode, I chat with Joe Kelly to discuss their upcoming game, Molly House, which is being published by Whirlygig, maybe you heard of it, and is coming to Backerkit on October 17th. Joe Kelly is also a Zenobia finalist, so we're going to talk about the making of Molly House, Zenobia, and much, much more. So welcome, Joe. Uh, real easy question to start. Um, <laughs> when did you first hear the words Molly House? Uh, <laughs> so um, I think it was probably in the year 2007, uh, which was my last year at university. Um, so I was doing a music degree. Um, and uh, so my my composition tutor uh, was a guy called Michael Finnessy. Um, and he he gave me a CD and part of the score for a piece that he'd written, which was called Molly House, um, which is... Uh, it's it's, it's kind of like a kit piece, which is uh, like a, a modern classical piece where uh, it combines lots of different elements. So there's like parts of handle arias in it and then there's also like instructions for playing vibrators uh <laughs> or i think it could be any electronic device but vibrators are listed in in the kind of uh suggestions for what you would use um so i kind of had to had to find out a bit more about it and um i looked up what a molly house was um and i couldn't really find much information to be honest um I, um, so I, I found out like the very basics that it was like, uh, a kind of place that people would go, um, like it was sort of all, all, all mentioning, mentioning that it was, it was gay men and also kind of, um, there was like lots of the information I could find was like an illusion that it was like a, a brothel basically, um which I kind of later found out was not really true. Um, like, I think there was sex, there was definitely sex work going on, but that wasn't the kind of main draw of, of Molly, Molly houses. Like, so yeah. Um, and then I didn't really think about them for quite a while until the, the Zenobia award was, was mentioned. So that was the next time that I thought about Molly houses. I I found that that fantasy piece like really amusing because there's um I, I think like a lot of music students kind of experience this um, you're trying to find where you can make high art and low art <laughs> coexist in the same space yes. and um, <laughs> I know personally like I got a I got a D on a project I did in college uh, for a composition class where it was just like an excerpt from Handel's Water Music. And it's just pitch shifted washlet flushes um, layered over the top of each other. <laughs> so it's basically just like glorified white noise with a gate on it. Um, and that was just Amazing. from like reading this article about how this uh, toilet manufacturer was trying to get people to waste less water in public washroom <laughs> spaces. Um, and it's like, oh, handle, obviously. Like, this is what we're going to do here. Um, just out of curiosity, uh, how, you know, that kind of playfulness. Um, 
and creativity can be at odds to some people. I was just kind of curious, have you found like within your um, design work like that there's some crossover in terms of how you approach music and how you approach design? Um, yeah, I, th- I think, I think there is, um, like, I think, um, I guess the, the kind of irreverence of, uh, Molly House as a piece really appealed to me. Um, and that's, that's something that I'm, you know, I, I'm always looking to put into my music. So, um, and I think, I think there's something, uh, I do. I think Molly House, as a game, is 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 very playful, um, and I guess not really interested in. Like it's it's definitely takes the history seriously, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily like a, a, a massively serious game. If that makes sense. That that does make sense, because in a weird way, music and games. Um... Sometimes there's like a little bit of overlap because what you're making feels like uh, a blueprint for impossible architecture, I guess. <laughs> like um, you, you know, a game game is just a box full of components. Um, sometimes a bag, I guess, of components, but but it's like just a bunch of components. Um, but the rules are what give it form. And I think sometimes with music, there's mm. like an element sometimes of like trying to imagine. Um, or evoke a space that doesn't really exist um, in, in some terms. Like sometimes like you're sort of rending form. Sometimes you're kind of imposing structure on something that's a little bit chaotic. And it's sort of like where the, there's like play and then there's, but there's also the rules of play. Like the, and I think like composition, for example, and, um, and game design both have like this thing of where there's, there's a little bit of the rules, like structured play in a sort of way, but it's still play, you know? Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, I guess a good place to kind of start and talking about Molly House would, would be, uh, would you mind kind of giving a broad overview of how, how you would describe it, like in the broadest sense to someone who's never seen it, let's say, or never played? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um in the game in the game Molly House, um all the players are playing as Mollies. Um so you're taking you're taking the position of an individual who's involved in the Molly House. Um and uh so uh I should probably explain a little bit about Molly Houses. So uh in <laughs> they they were kind of queer meeting places um that definitely existed in London from at least like the late 17th century um all the way through like the 19th century um they existed um i think there were also molly houses outside london but that was definitely the center of them um so the game molly house is set in the 1720s um which is uh around the time that um a group called the uh, society for the reformation of manners um was basically cracking down on all kinds of sinful crimes as as they perceived them. Um, so they were a religious group, um, and uh, they kind of formed their own police force. Basically, um, like there was no formal established police at the at the time, but they had their own like constables who they would pay to go around and find people who were 
trading on Sundays or whatever horrible, sinful things they were doing. Um, but one of the things they were doing was was uh, cracking down on molly houses. So, um, so in the game, um, you're trying to create joy in your community. Uh, so the victory points are called joy in the game, um, and that's the ultimate aim that, that, that the players are are looking for um but in doing so uh constables are gonna kind of come after you um so in terms of gameplay uh it's very much a card game so um there's four different suits uh with kind of numbered cards on them um and the main thing you're doing is kind of drafting a good hand um and there's also molly cards in the deck which uh you can play those at the Molly House to then put on festivities, uh, which is essentially the players collaborating to make poker-style hands uh, with the cards that they've collected. And how would you describe um, the festivities, like at the game? Um, like like gameplay-wise, or uh, yeah, like what the yeah. Um, so it's a kind of, um, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit like a, it's a bit like a, a dance. Uh, so players, the players' hands are kind of, uh, hidden from each other, but kind of throughout the game, there's ways that you will be revealing what's in your hand, like some of the cards in your hand, uh, to take action. So you're kind of building a sense of what other people have and, um, trying to see if you can work together to to make these festivities happen so let's say one of them might be you've got to get two pairs um so two pairs of cards with the same numbers on on each pair um and that can be across different players so i could have a three you could have a three that would be a pair of threes um the other thing to note is that uh you can have you might have three pairs or four pairs but only two of the pairs are going to score so um to kind of determine which one's going to score it's the the lowest numbered pairs um so there's a bit of a dance around like do i reveal like a seven or an eight which is one of the higher cards in the hope that like uh someone else will have one and that we'll, we'll make a pair together but then maybe people will try and undercut us with twos or threes or uh whatever but there's there's also uh, there's a chance the Molly House could be raided, um, which is determined by there's there's a there's a kind of gossip pile of cards that builds up, um, and the cards that are played during a festivity um, round um, that that don't contribute to the festivity will go to the gossip pile, and the higher the card is, the 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 worse it is for the Molly House. So mm. there's a, there's a there's a kind of dance around. Uh, playing playing cards to see kind of what's which ones are going to score but then also not wanting to play cards that you're not confident about kind of scoring because they might mess things up for for the whole community so yeah so definitely a lot of tension between um communal good individual good like what's gonna (laughs) what's gonna be the best for the group (laughs) versus uh what might be the best for you in the moment um there were yeah. there are a lot of um, um 
intriguing thematic elements in the design. Uh, one of the things I was really taken with was how you incorporated the informer role into that of the Molly's mm-hmm. play. Um, how did you come to the design choice of giving each player the discomfort or potential discomfort of collaborating with this, uh, with the constabulary and with this, um, uh, religious society. <laughs> um, um <laughs> so, I mean, that was, it was kind of added quite early on. So, I mean, this is, this is the version that's come out of three years of kind of iteration, uh, but it's kind of been in there since the very beginning. Um, so the kind of the first version I made, it was it was more like a kind of uh, um, God, my uh, what's what's the zombie game? Uh, winter, Dead of Winter, Dead of Winter. <laughs> uh, it was like a Dead of Winter style thing where um, it was assigned at the start, so. Um, there would there would be everyone had an objective, but there would be like one or two that were work with work with the constables to to close the Molly House down. Um, and the reason is it's it's like such a big part of the of the like historical um, documents that that we've got kind of access to. So if you look at um, if you look at Mother Mother Clap's Molly House, which is kind of a very well documented case of a molly house being raided um so uh i think there was a lot of people i think maybe even like 40 people were were arrested like in that raid um most of them were let go but four of them were charged um with um kind of crimes related to sodomy so uh that was that was like the the formal crime they were um, being accused of, um, and all of the evidence in those trials, um, is either from informers from within the Molly community who were kind of working with the constables, I guess, in, in, um, exchange for immunity, uh, for themselves, um, working as informers, um, and also the constables that they brought in kind of, um, as un- undercover operators basically um to infiltrate the the community and and get evidence that way so it felt like it was quite it felt like it was an important thing to to depict in the game for sure there's um it's interesting too because i you know i was relating it to some of these other um designs that i've been playing recently that um, try to negotiate this balance between the tension of um, what's the best way to put this uh, delicate balance between you know in this game it's uh, between individual joy individual guilt collective joy right you know I mean and I guess like also like the uh, the consequences of being um, <laughs> a, little, a little too brazen for yourself in pursuit of your own joy versus like kind of what what could expose the community and potentially create a raid that ends the game right um but it was interesting in how both both the the joy and the guilt um tension sort of um manifest in communal behavior like everybody's sense of 
you know, manners and like kind of what they owe to each other, which was really fascinating. Um, but I, I guess what I kind of kept coming back to in terms of like how it, how it sort of resonated for me, which could be my bias just as a person who plays, um, a lot of historical games that are typically more pew pew or <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> like, I don't know, kind of set in more of a armed conflict kind of thing. And, and I like to play a lot of different things. Um, but that's sort of a, sort of an angle that I, I tend to end up playing a lot of. Um, but would you say it's fair to call Molly House a bit of a resistance game? Um, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, because I think one thing that I was very conscious of was that I didn't want it to feel like, um, like a, a, a modern like civil rights kind of fight game because mm-hmm. that's that's not what was going on. Like there there weren't there, there wasn't really like uh, any any kind of public debate about whether it was acceptable or not. It was it was kind of that wasn't on the cards at all. Um, so it's it's a I guess it's like a quiet resistance game in like we're gonna tr- we're just gonna try and keep doing this even though like uh you know the powers the powers that be are, are completely against us like um yeah it's 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 a it's a form of resistance game but not what I would think of like if someone said resistance game to me it's not like the first right. thing that would come to mind wouldn't be the billing wouldn't be how you probably something you print on the box or what have you. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and I think that's, that's fair. It's, it's interesting because when we think about, um, I mean, collectively, like uh, within historical games, when we think about resistance games too, it's always about uh, armed struggle instead of all the little levels that, you know, like the little layers and the contributions that individuals make toward resistance and something that, um, we're just now kind of seeing even starting to get pulled apart and examined a little bit uh, more closely in games. Um, like, uh, the, uh, the, uh, game resist that came out uh, through salt and pepper at the David Thompson and I think, uh, Roger Tankersley. I can't remember the minute there's more than two designers. I just don't know who made anything <laughs> anymore. So forgive me. Uh, my, except my apologies to the design team. Um, and even like the French resistance game I'm working on with um, Joe Schmidt for GMT, like trying to examine like the folks who do uh, clandestine press, kind of pamphleteers, people who are writing and kind of creating their own propaganda, you know, in, in opposition to an occupation or some sort of fascist authority figures. And then there's also folks who were, you know, messengers, couriers, um, hiding, you know, hiding Jewish families, trying to get people out of the country, all these things. But there's a lot of this, when we kind of have this view of resistance as just armed struggle, it's so reductive, and it's also disempowering to the people who would find themselves in opposition to this sort of uh, kind of uh, fascist, you know what I mean, like kind of group, like that they can't do anything, because if it's not this kind of resistance, then it doesn't resonate or really matter and i thought with with Mally house is interesting because it the stakes are are to the individual and to the community and that made it feel a little bit more immersive and kind of tight 
Like it's got some elements, I think, of, um, you know, a little bit of like what you'd expect more out of, say, a role-playing game than like a typical tabletop experience. Um, would you say that that's yeah. fair? um yeah yeah i mean i think um like looking back at the version that i kind of submitted for the for the zenobia award the for the like final judging um i think that was a big part of the game was actually like it was almost more of a more of a role-playing engine than like a strategic game which i think i think some some of the judges were really into it and some of the judges uh were were not <laughs> so on board with with that um which is fair i mean i think that was like one of the judging criteria was like is it a strategic game and um yeah i i think it could be argued it wasn't very strategic at all like uh very random things could happen to you um like uh, I mean the the so I depicted the the death penalty in that version, um, but I kind of got around it by having the player not necessarily be attached to just one molly. So if you mm. lost your molly, you would get a new one, uh, but you would have like a, a that would de- detrimentally affect you, but also the the whole community because obviously they would be grieving like losing someone. Um, and I, th- I think that was like quite, quite a powerful, um, quite powerful from like an emotional storytelling perspective. Um, but um, yeah, maybe maybe not so much from uh, a yeah a, a strategic perspective. It was it was uh, not so strong. But I, I I feel like the version that has come out like. That that we've 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 kind of come to after all these years. So, um, like Cole Cole has done some additional design work on it as well. So it's um, and obviously Drew Drew uh, Worley as well has been um, involved in all of the development stuff. So it's um, feels like a true collaboration that has kind of brought out it's brought those elements out, but also. Uh, it's brought out the strategic elements of the game is uh, what I'm trying to say, but also there's still like lots of uh, role play involved. So I think it's best, best of both worlds at the moment, which uh, I'm happy about. It can be difficult to balance those two sensibilities within a design because within strategic games, um, I I guess strategic games and um, role playing games define stakes differently. Yeah. I mean, the stakes in a role playing game are more, narrative like they can wait and the in the level of agency that's kind of required for both is is different when it's a role you kind of inhabit versus um i don't know playing XCOM or something and you name your little squad member and then give them you know a hairstyle and and <laughs> various gear and send them out into the world um but it, it was interesting when i was um kind of reading through the design diary entries. Uh, one of the things you'd mentioned was that the very first iteration of Molly House was a two-player game that was a little bit more, um, more of a kind of conventional historical game structure 
Um, would you mind describing a little bit of kind of how it how it started, and then then a little bit of that evolution? And I realize it's three years, so there's probably a lot of evolution. <laughs> but if you just want to hit uh, the bits that you feel are most important to you, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, as you say, the, the first iteration was uh, it was a two player game. Um, so one player was playing as the Society for the Reformation of Manners, and the other player was running a Molly House. Um, and it was a kind of uh, slightly hidden information bluffing kind of uh, game. Um, I think I was, like you said, I was looking at historical games and thinking, uh, yeah, they're, they're all two-player conflict games, so let's make a two-player conflict game. Uh, <laughs> like, almost by default, basically. Um, and... I mean, I think it, I think it could have worked, but I kind of realised um, after working on it for a bit, like the mollies themselves were not—they uh, didn't have any agency. They were just like pawns in this game that was going on between two players who were looking at it from like a high level, and it just um, wasn't giving the right feeling. So, yeah, I think it was a good a good move to work uh, kind of move towards players actually inhabiting the roles of, of the mollies, which, um, which then meant I had to like try and figure out what their game was. And it was, um, I guess I was looking at the risks they were taking, like, um, you got the death penalty, um, essentially as, as the, um, yeah, as the punishment for for doing you know what they were doing um for the crime of sodomy um so i was like well what what are they risking it for and the the answer was joy so that's where the kind of that whole element came from and then uh i started looking at at it as a push your luck game um the first version i made was a bit like a, a was a diamant alike or ink and gold um, if you know it by that name, um, but the gems, the gems were kind of swapped out for, uh, they were swapped out for items that you could use to make festivities. So there was like, um, dresses and gin and, uh, all the things you need for a good party basically. Um, and you'd be like trying to collect sets of those. Um, but also in the deck there were, there were like, uh, the kind of hot cruising spots, um, and there was like a there's a there's a board with um the kind of four main places that people go cruising at that time as well um and that was another avenue avenue to joy which was um much more risky because obviously you you're doing things in plain sight rather than going to like a private place right. to to uh to do that stuff um and then constables were in the deck as well and they would be like the timer basically on on how much risk you could take um so that kind of eventually kind of moved into a drafting card game and then it turned into a worker placement game and it kind of went through a lot of different like mechanical iterations that uh i think i think it kind of uh I mean, it was my first design. I was didn't really know what I was doing, um, so I just threw lots of stuff at it and tried to <laughs> tried to see what what would stick. Um, but it's kind of um, 
I mean, it's it's there's been so many so many versions of it. I like find it hard to even tell you where the thread of like one thing <laughs> starts and another thing ends. That's fair. Do you do you ever feel as though the expectation that you're good at your own game is misplaced because you have internalized like half a dozen different versions of your game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if I play it now, I have to look at the rule book constantly because mm. I just can't remember which rules are still in the game. Like, yeah, the longer I work on it, the, the, the less good I get at the game, for sure. Yeah, I I had a thing where when the first like month of a game coming out, uh, the moment that the publisher released the game and it was suddenly like available, like I would just travel with my work bag and I just had the rule book for the <laughs> my game in my messenger bag just in case I had to answer BGG questions while I'm at work or something. It's like I'm not going to remember how I put this in this book or how this was. And um, and I'd always get really annoyed when someone would, like a friend even would like text me some question and be like, I didn't. I didn't answer that correctly because we changed that at the last minute or something. It's wild. <laughs> I it's 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 always um, I, I think kind of challenging to certain designers to explain sometimes how folks who dis, who design historical games there's often a little bit more interchangeability of certain mechanisms than in games that they design because their games are very much about the system and about the mechanism. Whereas here, you're sort of tailoring the mechanisms to something that will suit the theme of the game. And um, so I, I was kind of curious, Like, the, was that your experience with uh, Zenobia Wars? Was it just you kept trying these different, <laughs> different textures kind of against yeah. it? <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, definitely. Um and i i think it was i think it was a combination of just being like a natural outcome of of the fact that you're like you're you're thinking about either the theme and what and what you're conveying more than you are about like whatever the system that you might be using to do that is but um also i think that's like having Cole Worley as my mentor and if you've seen his process at all you'll know that he isn't really that attached to like specific mechanisms rather than um, yeah. he'll, he'll swap out a mechanism for anything else like if it isn't working or isn't doing what, what it needs to do so I think I was influenced by that way of thinking as as well like during the process it's a it's a really good approach I definitely am, am always impressed with how he um, would approach like his second editions there's definitely an attitude of if I didn't like how this came out the first time, I will tear it all the way down to the studs, <laughs> like just redo it. And I think that's great when you're working probably with, with Zenobia too, to like have that sense of, you know, the less uh, attached you get to certain aspects of it. It's it's often the things that are going to pull up everything, you know, the, the load bearing mechanism where there's like a little bit of reticence to like mess with that. But it can really be very empowering once you you have a vision of what the game can be, and it's that that's something that I think can be really helpful with um, you know within like kind of a context of having mentors help you with your design, and uh, and I'm sure that even even later like for your next design project or maybe you're in this mental state where I'm like, 
not for a while, <laughs> you know, type of thing. But even for like a next design project, learning kind of like how you sort of bypass like a couple of iterations of the game every single time you design, because then there's a little bit more clarity of purpose and also having a sharper sense of what you know you want. I was Absolutely. no, I was noticing a, a lot of differences between the version of. Uh, Molly House that I had seen you demo at SD HistCon a while back. Um, and the latest version, when I was looking through the rule book and like at some of the components, illustrations are gorgeous, by the way. They look fantastic. So very excited oh, yeah, to see that. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of like how festivities were actions previously, and now they seem to be the sort of the sets that you're collecting or the hand you're trying to form. Um, but I wanted to kind of loop back a little bit to festivities because there's an element that I found really intriguing about my house was how, um, I guess it'd be better to frame this as a question. I'm doing the Bullock thing where I just ramble around in search of one. Um, <laughs> how would you describe the way um, my house incorporates camp? And how might that differ in, say, the 18th century from how we kind of conceive of it in a modern context? Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I think... Um, well, yeah, thinking about, thinking about, like, what camp means in, in the context of, of Molly House in the 18th century... Um, you've, you've got the kind of, you've got the masquerade, which is like a big emblematic kind of, uh, um, what, what am I trying to say? A big emblem of the period. Like that's like kind of a defining feature of, of, of the 18th century is, uh, the idea of, um, take, taking on like different, um, personalities different roles um and kind of having quite malleable um identities which um i think is really important to understanding like molly house and i guess the the kind of mindset of 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 molly's so i mean i'm 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 gonna go on a, a bit of a tangent go for <laughs> it i think this is I think it's really interesting. But, um, so if you look at um, the kind of big, the big book about Molly Houses is, is Mother Claps Molly House by Richter Norton, who's um, uh, a, a gay academic um, um, who has kind of focused on it since, I think he wrote it in the 90s. Um, but if you if you read that book, it has a very like definite agenda of like Molly's were gay men. Um, like he was, I think he's even saying like, they're not by, they're not by, and they're not trans women for sure. Um, like he's very definite about these two, two assertions, which, um, I think, uh, if you look at it now, like it seems like quite a bold uh, thing, to, thing to, to kind of assert in in this book. Um, 
especially thinking about it from like a, a queer historical um, lens, like, sure, I mean, like they're they're not trans women, but only because like that that kind of nomenclature for for things wasn't around, and in the same way, like gay, they weren't gay men because that nomenclature wasn't around. Like these these are modern terms, and if you try and like fit mollies into this box you're gonna fail like there there's something else um which has like lots in common with modern ideas that we have but like you have to kind of approach them on their own terms which i think is important with any history really but um with queer history i think it's good not to not to lose that perspective of like attitudes were really different like people were different they had different ideas so i think when we're talking about like camp um we're talking about like a very um very effeminate affairs so like very much like dressing up in dresses was like a big part of the culture um like there's there's kind of reports from kind of what I guess they were like tabloid journalists at the time who like, were like, I went to a Molly house and this is what I saw. And they're like talking about um, these Mollies like dressing up and kind of, um, I guess in a way that's kind of reminiscent of modern drag, like kind of uh, doing parodies of uh, like straight culture, basically. Um, so they would like gossip about their husbands um, or their like sons who were, were like doing the wrong thing or um they had like mock birthing ceremonies where they would uh like someone would would kind of get into the birth of position and they would have like a, a kind of jointed wooden doll that they would give birth to um and uh yeah they even had like they had wedding ceremonies so um yeah i mean there's this kind of like a wealth of um things that are really familiar but also like quite quite different at the same time um so i guess the the way the yeah hmm. <laughs> how does the game how does the game kind of suggest this i mean it's a good question and uh i'm not sure if i have a good answer i <laughs> I, I see it in there. So, like, I can see a bit of the, you know, especially with gossip and the role of gossip, which feels mm. like kind of a central tenet <laughs> to it. And I also love yes. <laughs> how it's um, it's uh, it's both positive and negative. It's just like this kind of kind of central pillar to it. But in general, like, I I think it's really fascinating to see how a game focus on this period can kind of shed light on some differences between how we conceive of sexuality and identity in the present. And as you kind of mentioned, like there's the, um, touching on your point of the, the nomenclature changes in a given era, even like reading about topics, you know, like 20, 30 years ago, or writing a book about it. It's like the way we kind of define these things now. It's all about the inadequacies and how, <laughs> how it was handled or how, how this topic was covered or what the agenda of the author is, which is great in the way that I wish everybody viewed every period of history about everything in this way <laughs> like, and really boiled down to yeah. it instead of it being like, 
this is exactly how Lebanon was in, you know, 1980. It's like, okay, that book's doing a lot of heavy lifting. So to see how this game focused on this period, like, can kind of shed light on some of the changes and shifts in terms of how um, public perception of identity and sexuality, you know, you think prior to 18th century, um, it's not really uh, homosexuality, like homosexuals and, and heterosexuals. There's like, there isn't the erasure of everybody else. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's like more mm-hmm. than two distinct groups. And then you've got also the sense of um, how uh, feminacy in men is always linked to like, you know, it just sort of calcifies into this perception, like in the, in the public mind. But that sort of originates like in this era is like sort of like when that sort of takes, takes root. And then, and so it's just like interesting now to see how, these things get written about and how the there's kind of like uh, not really a ton of books about this period either. And like study, like even when I was looking to do a little research for the interview, it was just like a very small pool of people. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing you know them all by (laughs) by name too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, it was interesting to kind of, kind of look at that group. Um, But do you see like there's, there's a little bit of an opportunity here with this game to, um, kind of focus on some of those differences and also the um, kind of being a little less pressured, I think, than um, you would if you were writing a book or writing like kind of a, a concrete text uh, to be able to explore it in like more playful way than the manner that the scrutiny that I, I, I would think that some might police queer history, like in general, because of the differences in nomenclature mm. across areas. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, not having the pressure to put these things into words, uh, I think, I I personally find that a lot easier to to negotiate. And, um, like, I I think um, a lot of this is going to come through in, like, the artwork as well. Um, And it's something we've been, like, really... Uh, careful to kind of get right because um, there's definitely a way to to do the art for Molly House that would be completely wrong and um, like give give entirely the wrong idea. I think um, yeah, I think it's very important. We're we're working with like a really amazing queer illustrator who kind of just it's great to work with someone who just gets it and knows exactly like what we're trying to put across and you know um uh trying to think like game gameplay wise um uh there's a big kind of opportunity for like collaboration or like working against each other like i think it really leaves that up to the the players to to decide like you can you could play a really, really catty game of uh, Molly House, which, <laughs> you know, kind of feels feels appropriate. Like there was lots of backstabbing going on in that in um, in that community, but you can also like play quite a, a very collaborative game. Um, and there's actually kind of an incentive in the game to do it. So, um, like if if you're the leader in the game. Um, and you want to keep the Molly House running because um, 
so at, at the end of the game whether the molly house is, is open or raided is going to affect who can win so you can only win um as a non-informer if the molly house stays open and doesn't get raided and you can only win as an informer if the molly house does get raided so um as the leader you're almost incentivized to try and be like um incentivize other people to to get more points and maybe put on a festivity but like i'm gonna hang back a little bit like i'm gonna let you catch up a bit because like i think we all need to be about the same for us to to have an incentive to actually keep keep this thing going so i think there's some really interesting play that can that can happen there i I love that tension i think that's fabulous because you can see then the incentives to to inform when the opportunity arises are really only there when you feel like you're not getting joy from the proceedings like you're kind of left behind in it and again there it's this just like such such a clever kind of tightly coiled framework for this because of that spectrum and because of how it engages with it. And it's, it's got a lot of aspects of kind of um, like of a role, a player role that players can inhabit in, in a way that, that makes sense and in like outlines their incentives. I just think that this is, this is really amazing, and, and especially for a first-time design, which probably feels like your sixth design, just because of the way the process has been going. But that's always the case, Joe. It always feels like that. <laughs> At least is in my experience, that's that's how it works. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to kind of wrap up a little bit and kind of get wind down with um, a question about. Um, what would you say to someone that might be listening that may have talked themselves out of participating in the Zenobia Award um, because of either a lack of preparation or maybe that they didn't feel like their idea was fleshed out enough? Um, oh, that I mean, that depends if this episode comes out while there's still time oh, to Oh, that's apply. true. <laughs> if, if there is... If maybe there we'll is just make them apply, feel say, bad. Just do it. <laughs> yes. Um... All right. Why don't I why don't I scratch that question um, and instead ask um, what did you what in your personal experience what did you get out of your participation uh, with the Zenobia Award process? Um, I mean, so many things. Like, uh, firstly, I would I wouldn't have thought of this game idea if I hadn't seen the Zenobia Award announcement, and that would that kind of sparked. The remem- remembering like Molly houses exist that would make a really interesting game um, so even just like having the idea in the first place was um, really important um, I think having having a mentor just just in any kind of situation is, is a great great thing to do so uh, like even if you're not involved in the Zenobia rewards like there's definitely ways to to kind of go and and try and find mentorship out there um like the there's the tabletop mentorship uh program which uh i think is is pretty cool um and also like uh just just kind of building a community of um designers like so being still being in touch with quite a few um, people from from the process 
um, especially the the finalists. We're kind of all still in contact. We've got a Discord channel where we kind of keep up to date with each other. So, um, yeah, I mean, so so many so many things came out of the Zenovia Award. It was uh, yeah, it was amazing. That's very cool, and hopefully that would encourage other people to participate when the opportunity arises so. next time. Uh, whenever <laughs> that may be. Um, yeah. It, I, I'm kind of curious. Uh, have you been, uh, taken with anything that you've been playing recently? Have you had an opportunity to play anything recently? Um, so I've, I've been playing a lot of, um, the shipwreck arcana. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this game, but, uh, it's, um, it's a cooperative game. Um, and it's got like a deck of tarot like cards which have um kind of logical statements on them um and there are uh little kind of wooden tiles with uh, the numbers 1 to 7 on them and um on your turn you draw two of them without uh, showing anyone um and you have to put one of the numbers next to one of the cards so you've got like four or five cards um so it might it might be things like if the if the number you're holding on to is greater than four then put put your other one here um and there's it's it's just incredible like how much you can communicate just through putting one number next to a card uh, in that game um because you're trying to communicate you're communicating something with that, but you're also communicating something by the cards that you're not putting it next to. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I'm slightly addicted to it. I think it's a really great design. Our thanks to Joe Kelly. Outro music provided by Caroline Rose. And you can find her work on Bandcamp. Till next time. Stop.